Hello. Hello. Hi. 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 Brilliant. Um, cool. Uh, enthusiastically, let's turn to John 17. Woo! Come on. Come on. <laughs> right, my name is Lucundo. For those who don't know me, you can call me Lou. Um, but yeah, let's start in John 17 from verse 1 to 9. I am, this is Jesus speaking, John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Amazing passage of scripture here, quite um, a famous one. And it's set in what seems to be somewhat Jesus' farewell words, last words to his disciples before he goes and dies and arises again and ascends. And from chapters 13 through to 21, we see Jesus um, and the story speaking about how he washes his disciples' feet, the Last Supper, the prediction of him being betrayed, his departure, his return, the promise of the Holy Spirit and the world's hatred for Jesus and his disciples, but how he has overcome the world and his prayer for them in chapter 17 and for us, the passion and then his resurrection and his words to them as the risen Christ. So it's a really interesting way this this portion of scripture was structured, but was really important um, doctrine in the church at that time. So Jesus is almost last words before um, he went. So it's within this passage or these passages that we find this analogy, so to speak, of the vine, its branches, and the vine dresser. So who is described in this analogy? With well, a vine is Jesus. As he said, I am the vine. And the branches are the people. He says to disciples, to us, you are the branches. And the vine dresser, our Father in heaven. Now, the amazing thing about this analogy is that it speaks of connection as well as purpose. So it's through Jesus. Sorry, he's so cute. <laughs> So through Jesus, we're connected to the Father, finding our source and our dependence in Jesus alone. And only by being in him can we produce fruit. And it's a beautiful picture of, because I don't know if you've ever seen a vine or looked at a picture of a vineyard. Is it a vineyard, vineyard? I'm going to say vineyard for the rest of the night. So yeah, okay, we're okay. We've agreed. It's a vineyard. <laughs> if you say vineyard, it's okay. But I'm going to say vineyard. Okay, so... 
No, no, it's freedom, this freedom. Um, so it's, it's all interconnected and it, it's moving around and it's, it's this big system. It's one big plant system. So there's this beautiful analogy of him and us and us and him and the father and it's, it's all one big family unit working together in perfect harmony and unity. But it's amazing. Um, so the branches that produced no fruit, some would say, were never really in the vine to begin with. And bearing in mind, we've just seen Judas who betrayed Jesus. And in chapter 13, verse 10 to 11, Jesus said to them, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. So Judas was with him, but was never really in him. So some sort of superficial connection. But Jesus says to his true disciples, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. They received the revelation of who Jesus was and Jesus was the word of God incarnate. So the interchangeable, they received the word and they put their faith in him and he made them clean. And so, and I was thinking to myself, why the analogy of a vine, Jesus, couldn't have been a tree? It's a bit random. Well, maybe not because it's in the Mediterranean, but whatever. But Israel would have been familiar in, in that time with, with the image of the vine. And if you did go along to the Great I Am series, you'll know all about this. So, but it's good to hear it again. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 5. So that the imagery of a vine would have been very, very familiar to them. Isaiah chapter 5. We get there. Verses 1 through to 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do to my vineyard that I would not have done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make waste, it shall not be pruned or hoed. And briars and thorns shall grow up, and I will command the clouds that there rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. For he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. God already described Israel as a vineyard in the old covenant, the whole plant system, his own planting. He spoke of it very tenderly, very dearly. And his intention for them was to bear fruit that covered all the earth, bringing his glory, his righteousness, and his justice. And as a vine dresser, he knew his vine very well. And he went to great lengths to ensure that it produced, as we saw in the first few verses. A vine dresser is someone who knows his vine really well. He knows that the branches are all slightly different, so they need slightly different attention. And he knows exactly what each vine needs for it, what each branch needs for it to produce fruit. He knows how to prune them. He knows where to go. He knows them intricately. He cares for this vineyard. 
And you know, in that we see this relationship and purpose. He knows his vine intricately, there's relationship, but he also wants this vine to produce. He wants the branches to produce fruit. It's always been his plan to have sons and daughters who would fill the earth with his rule and his reign, who would cover the earth with fruit. Relationship and purpose. And so then Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 27, Isaiah 27, in verse 2 to 6. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle, I would march against them. I would burn them up together. Or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. And God's intention remains to fill the whole world with fruit, with his righteousness and justice, heaven here on earth. And so clearly Israel sort of failed to do this as God's intention was. But as always, we know the answer is... Come on. The answer is always Jesus. So even though um, Israel didn't manage to do this, Jesus comes along and when he shows up and he says this in, in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. So he's saying, I am the reality of the type that you saw. So you're familiar with this imagery, but I'm the trueness. I'm the eternal thing that wasn't eternal then, but I'm the trueness of the form that you saw under the old covenants. Remember what you saw then? I'm the real fulfillment of God's plan or how this is going to happen. And this was one of the last, well, it was the last I am sayings in the Gospel of John where Jesus um, says, I am, um, and it points to his deity because God had revealed himself to Moses as the I am. And so when Jesus comes up and says, I am the way, I am the light, I am the bread of life, I am the door, now I am the vine. He's saying he's pointing to his deity. And only in him, in being connected to the Father, not no longer through a physical, I guess, demographic of people from a certain place. It's now through faith in Jesus, the true vine, that we have relationship with God and we can produce fruit that covers the whole earth. So he comes up on the scene and says, this is God's plan, but I am the fulfillment. It's in me now. It's by faith in me that you see relationship with God and the purpose that you were always made for. It's always been God's purpose to have um, sons and daughters, to have relationship with them and through them to change the landscape of the world. Now, what does it look like, I guess, um, to abide. Many times I've heard people talk about abiding in God and, and a lot of times it's referred to as resting in God or just, I don't know, just, yeah, resting, soaking, taping, taking up residence and it's all chill, chill and, and, and which is true in a sense, but that's not the entirety of what it means to abide in God. And um, interestingly, the English word, well, English in, in abiding means to accept or act in accordance with a rule, decision, or recommendation. That's the English translation of abiding. Because, you know, you abide by the rules, you abide, etc. Um, so, if we go back to John 17. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> John 15, verse 7. <laughs> 
John 15 from verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So abiding in him and abiding in his love looks like obeying his word and obeying his commandments. Now, God is always the initiator. We love him because he first loved us. He says to us, you are the branches because I've made you clean. He says, I love you, therefore abide in my love. I already love you. My love is lavished upon you, so remain in it. My love, I'm not pulling my love back. I'm not taking it away. I love you. He's the initiator. Abide in my love. I've saved you. You are in me. And so us abiding in him and coming to him and drawing on him is in response to what he's already done. By faith, we come to him. We are in the, in the, I say I'm mixing my vines and my branches. And he says, abide in me. And it's almost this, 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 this on our part to, to draw closer to God. Draw near to him and he, draw, he draws near to us. <laughs> he, um, the, it's okay, Ali. There's something for us to do in response to what he's already done. So he's already done it, but he says, abide in me, remain in me. And as we draw close to him, he draws close to us. As we choose to place our dependence and receive everything that we need from him and him alone. And so the word abide in scripture actually means to remain in and to continue in. So I abide in Christ. I remain in his word. I remain in his commandments, in the revelation of who he is. And only by doing this is is how I produce food. And I remain in his love. I remain in the love that he's already given me. I rest in it. I understand it. And from that place is where I live. From that place of knowing I'm unconditionally loved by the Father is where I can then go forth and produce fruit because I know where I'm rooted in and I'm rooted in the love of God. Um, In John 14, verse 15 to 17, previous chapter, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. And so I do so with the Holy Spirit strengthening me. I grow to understand the length, the depth, the breadth and the height of his love for me. And in that I am filled with the fullness of God. The fruit of the spirit is produced in me and I can do all that he has prepared for me to do because I abide in him and because he abides in me. Yeah? In his word and abiding in his love. It's absolutely amazing knowing and when we say that we are loved lovers loving others and we don't want to be a people who run about just trying to do things in our own strength and in our own power and Jesus says you can't do anything without me 
And so when I understand the love of God for me, from that place of knowing I'm truly loved and he's truly for me, that love overflows into obeying him and doing what he's called me to do and to loving others. So he said, abide in me, obey my commandments, but he doesn't just stop there. To carry on in verse 12, chapter 15, chapter 15. Make sure that's right. Yes. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So we know abiding in him means to remain in his word and obey his commandments and his commandment is to love one another. And you know, some, we've been hearing a lot lately, haven't we, about being together and being committed to one another and to resist this individualistic spirit of the age that's all about me and all about what I can get. And you know, and even in our walk with God, sometimes it's tempting to think that I'm being more spiritual and more of a Christian when I'm by myself in a room praying for how many gajillion hours or I'm doing this, I'm having all these encounters and it's wonderful and I'm soaking, it's all about me, 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 me in the presence of God. And we sometimes, I mean, I've done it before, are tempted to think that's when I'm being a good Christian or that's when I'm being super spiritual. This is how I'm growing. And actually, it's not wrong to do these things. It's not wrong to spend time in God's presence, to close the door behind you, go away and pray. It's not wrong at all. But Jesus is clearly saying that it's not all about you and your little experience in your room. There's a lot more to it because any encounter and experience we have with Jesus causes us to love those around us, causes us to move from a place of looking at just me and looking outwardly. And it's safe to say, if we do have encounters with God and we get all caught up and we're not feeling this way, to stop and check and ask ourselves, well, actually, so where am I at, God? Because I know for a fact that God is love and I cannot encounter him without wanting to love people around me, without wanting to share the love of God. Whenever we come into his presence and we really encounter him, it's not just for us, it overflows to those around us. Um, our discipleship is not measured or proved by how long we do all these things by ourselves or how long we spend reading the Bible. Our discipleship is the fruit and they will know you, they will know you by your love. The fruit is they will know us by our love. So these things are important, but our commandment to obey is to love him. And love looks like something. Matthew 21, verse 31 to 40. I'll start from verse 34, actually, just for time. So when the Son of Man comes in glory and he's sitting on the throne and judging sheep and goats, from 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? 
And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least one of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Here is something so spiritual in the physical act of expressing love to someone else. And Jesus says, when you did it for one of these, you did it to me. So it's not all about, it doesn't end with, the, with the, my personal encounter. Being loving and showing and expressing the love of God to others is abiding in him. It's a physical expression that sometimes we're so tempted to simply focus on me and my little world and what I encounter when actually God is saying, obey me and express that love to those around you. As you do that, you prove to be my disciples and you abide in me by loving one another. First Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have no love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burnt but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Our motivation must be love, for without it we have nothing. It's really important that we realize is all the things we do when we go out and plant new sites, we get involved with VIP and the abolition group or Homes of Hope and all these other ministry areas or things we do individually, that we are abiding in him as we love the world around us and that our motivation in doing these things is love. And as Richard shared with us last week about being in one heart and one mind and we read Romans 15, verse five to six, and I'll just read it. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another and in accord with Jesus Christ, that together with one voice, I love that, glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, with endurance and encouragement. And it is, isn't it, difficult to continue to pursue connection and relationship, especially when we disagree. Now, and I can tell you there was a time, probably about, second year of marriage. Now, I have been on, on the, the wrong, well, I don't know if it's the wrong side of this. I'm always giving examples where Dami is like the bad guy and then I'm the good guy, but it does happen the other way around. So he's not, yeah, anyway, he's amazing. So anyway, basically, um, but I just learned something in this. We were, I think we were going somewhere, I wanted to visit someone and Dami was like, oh, we'll do this and then we'll do this. And I was like, no, 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 we should do that and then that because that makes more sense. And Dami was adamant, like, no, 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 I'm sure this way is better. So okay, fine, 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 I'll, I'll defer, I'll defer in love, okay. And you know, and it all went horribly wrong. And everything within me, absolutely everything within me wanted to say, I told you so, I told you so. And I was so convicted in that moment because God said to me, first of all, love never says, I told you so. Because love doesn't boast and love does not rejoice in when something goes bad. Um, and he really told me, he said, he said look, and look, rather than waiting for this to fail so you can show off about how you were right and Dami was supposedly wrong, you've forgotten that you're on the same team. So rather than waiting for it to all go wrong, so you know, when it all goes wrong and you say, I told you so, then what? 
you're, you're both still stuck. So why don't you jump on board with whatever decision you've made? You're on the same team. You still work together, regardless of what you've decided to do. Love does not say, I told you so. And, and you know, it's amazing because it does happen. We, we do sometimes in different settings and teams, we have our own ideas of how things should work and we should be doing it this way and we shouldn't be doing it that way. And it's easy to, if we don't do things my way, well, I'm gonna stand here and wait till it goes wrong or if anything happens. And it's like, God's like, no, love doesn't say I told you so. When we decide to do something, we're on the same team and love brings us together and pursues connection regardless and forgets that there were ever this is where we're going, and we're going in the same direction, and we're for one another. And you know, our Heavenly Father, the vine dresser, he knows how to prune us so that we will produce more fruit. And that was one situation. Um, um, and another one, I mean, I've mentioned before that I, one of my biggest struggles at, at work is loving people. I do love people, but there are some people who just, I struggle to love sometimes. And that's like my biggest struggle, because everything else is fine, you know, you get stressed, whatever. Um, I'm, I'm somewhat okay with that, but it's loving people. And, and something God's, God's told me that it's not okay for me to just think that person gets on my nerves, so I will never pursue them or talk to them again, because they can just be annoying and I don't care. And God's like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Um, so, um, yeah, in my own strength, um, trying to put on love and it's, it's not quite working. But um, the more that I realize and I remain in his word and I remain, I remember his love for me, it allows his love to overflow. A number, countless of times that's happened to me in the workplace. And this one time recently, I was really struggling and he reminded me of his word and he said, love is kind. Why don't you just try being kind to your colleagues? And it really worked. It really, really did work. I found my heart break and it opened and all of a sudden they do the same things they did before, say the same things that used to annoy me, but now it was like, well, that's just you being you and I'm not gonna I can't change you because I'm not going to control you because that's not love. I'm just going to accept who you are and love you anyway. And that was it. I can't force myself to love people. I can choose to love them. I can choose to partner with God, remain in his love for me and allow him to, to, to break me open and let love overflow, overflow to other people. I cannot settle for just being okay with not being okay with certain people. First John 4, from verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in his love abides in God and God abides in him. 
By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We have confidence that we are in God because of the Holy Spirit. We cannot say we love God if we cannot love the person in front of us, whoever that may be, wherever they may be from. However wrong or right we think they are, that as we abide in his love by which he first loved us, we can love one another. And I believe God wants to challenge us to, I guess, up our love game, to grow in what it really means to be family, to love one another, not just in word, but in deed, to be brave enough to pursue connection, to be honest and truthful with one another. And though it may take time to never give up, because as we grow together in love and we, 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 we come together as a unit, that love we take wherever we go, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, wherever it may be. And this vine vineyard continues to grow and spread and change the landscape of the world and the city around us. Him in us and us in him. You know, Winnie the Pooh said, you can't stay in your corner of the forest, waiting for others to come to you. You have to go to them sometimes. I love Winnie the Pooh, it's really practical. And you know, if there's something I just want us to take away from today is that, just want us to think that this is really practical, but Jesus says, <laughs> I want you to be practical. I want you to leave your corner of the forest. Stop waiting for someone to come and say hi to you. Go and say hi to someone else. Go and genuinely find out how that person is doing. If you can't physically do anything for them, pray for them. Um, reach out to people, show love, um, bless your neighbor, love your enemies, be intentional about it. And as practical as that is, we experience his joy and his presence in a way when we love other people that we don't when we're just by ourselves. We're called to be one family, one unit, one big vineyard, um, growing fruit and producing fruit and changing the landscape. So I just want to challenge us that even this evening or this week, why don't you pick on someone? Pick on someone, whether you know them or whether you don't. And let's begin to practice, not just in word, but indeed abiding in God by loving one another. Amen. Amen. Amen.